0: Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amazing, I can carry this thing. I'm not dead yet. Hey, we're continuing in our series called The Ultimate Connection, uh, Life with Christ uh, in the Center. And uh, the theme of our message today, or my message, is um, the inside-out gospel. And uh, there's an amazing thing that happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They are literally transformed. Uh, the gospel is about Transformation. Uh, and as we are transformed, it's also about new associations and new purpose and new meaning in life. And we're going to see that, and we heard about that as Sam read from uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, but one of the things that's central to the Christian faith, and the reason we call it an inside-out gospel, is because the good news and the transformation that takes place in the life of a person who comes to faith in Christ uh, doesn't, stay there. Uh, That God's intention is that what happens on the inside would be shared with the outside. So that others might come to know the joy of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so today as we begin, we need to begin with our mission. Uh, Because that's central to the inside out gospel. God calls us to himself, for himself, for a purpose, for good works that he created beforehand that we might walk in them. And the reality of that is as we come together, life with Jesus in the center, we have the opportunity to live fully into that purpose, what God intends for for us. And as he's uniquely gifted each of us and he's given us um, opportunity um, to impact and share and touch the lives of those around us. Those that we um, enjoy koinonia, that word is in our passage today, or fellowship uh, together. So our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. But where does that begin? Where does it begin? If I want to be used by God to bring his hope, healing, and wholeness to the community I live in, that I'm a part of in the world, wh- wh- where does it have to start? Uh, the question is, can I give to somebody else something I haven't experienced myself? Uh, that's, that's the reality of that, that inside work of the gospel in our lives. It starts there. Uh, and as God works in our life and as He transforms us and conforms us more and more to the image of His Son, Christ Jesus, the life of Christ the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, uh, we can't contain it. It's intended to overflow so that when people see us individually or us as a church family here at Community Covenant, whether it be here on Sunday morning or out in the world someplace in the community in which we live, people notice. They take notice and and, and what one author would say is, for a Christian, the question is, are you living a questionable life? Are you and I living in such a way? Are our lives reflecting so much so the life of Christ that people look at us and they want to ask questions? Uh, that's why the, the scripture says that we should always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that lies within us because the life of Christ in us should be so transforming, That as we live, people look at us and they say, I have questions about how he or she is living. Why are they so different? How is their life different than mine? There's something there that that maybe is missing, or there's something there that's appealing to me. I want to know more about that. And uh, that's what it means to live a questionable life. That you live outwardly the gospel that's changed your life inwardly in such a way that people have questions about you and about the way you live. Now, where does that start? Where does that mission begin? Well, in the book of Acts, we 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 see uh, the Holy Spirit come upon the church and, and fill the lives of those first believers, and then they move out immediately, and the inward reality of the gospel is expressed what? Outwardly. We see the inside-out gospel. But if you look back into Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, which is a really good place just to review as we begin today. You see Jesus and it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee into the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But uh, check this out. Some still doubted. That amazing. I mean, they'd been there, they'd seen it all. And uh, there were some that were still not sure. Then Jesus came to them and said, he wanted to eliminate their doubts, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, can you imagine how that must have sounded uh, to this group of former fishermen, tax collector, etc., who probably never traveled more than just, right, a few miles from where they were born and had always lived? I mean, what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so Jesus is very clear in giving them a mission, a purpose. For all intents and purposes, this could be their mission statement. And as they heard that, what's going to happen is what we learn as we begin to read in the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Is that they took this mission seriously. And that the Lord gave them... All that they needed, all the resources through the power of the Holy Spirit, which indwelt them, who indwells every follower of Christ Jesus, to carry out this great commission. And so how did they do that? Well, they lived questionable lives. Now, oftentimes we read and we begin in Acts 2, uh, 42 and then through 47, and we read about... Uh, the church, we read about how they nurtured and, and how they discipled uh, new believers and then how they lived together and how that overflowed out in a community. But there was a necessity, there's something that necessitated that kind of lifestyle. And if you just read a few verses before in uh, Acts 2, you're going to see the reason why. Um, Peter. On that great day of Pentecost, okay, um, he delivers a sermon. And on that day, it says that 3,000 people responded. Well, who were these people? These were pilgrims, Jews who had come from countries, other regions, other parts of the world to come and celebrate the Feast of Pentecost together. And you might recall, as they were gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began to proclaim and to preach the good news of the gospel in languages that weren't their own. In fact, it, the languages were the languages of some 16 different people groups that we read about that were listening and hearing the gospel proclaimed in their native language by people who weren't their native language speakers. That's an attesting miracle. It's attesting to uh, the truth of the message that's being proclaimed. And we see that pattern all through the book of Acts. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit moves. Uh, there are signs and wonders and miracles that take place. It makes people sit up and want to listen. What's this all about? And they hear the gospel message. So the miracles are attesting to the truth of the gospel. And this is what's going on here. And so, Peter, along with the other 11, right? It's just not him. They all stand up together. So it would be like me on Sunday morning wanting to deliver a message. But you standing up with me. You standing beside me. And you testifying that this message is true. This is the message that I believe. This is the core of my faith. And I stand with Pastor Todd as he proclaims this message to whoever I'm preaching to. So it just wasn't a one-person show. Alright? They all stood up. And together, right? Together, those who had been transformed were now sharing the gospel message. Well, it says that on that first day... There were 3,000 added to the number. In fact, verse 40 of chapter 2 says, With many other words, uh, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Right Now, we, we see in the New Testament a pattern, a pattern of the message being given And people respond, but we see baptism and response, they're like synonymous. It it happens virtually at the same time. It's not like today where maybe someone comes to faith in Christ, and they think about being baptized, and maybe three years later they do that. What we see in, in the New Testament is that when there's a proclamation of faith, there, that it's accompanied with baptism. Because baptism is being baptized into Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It is the formal public identifying with the reality of the risen Christ. And so we see this happening here. This pattern developing. And so now, they've got one sermon, 3,000 new members... That's pretty good, huh? That's like a Billy Graham crusade, isn't it? Right? Hey, come as you are. The buses will wait. Right? The camels, the mules, they'll they'll wait. And so you see 3,000 people, they come. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to do exactly what Jesus said. Have you been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And... They are now going to teach them everything that Jesus taught them. The good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. And so we see this life develop, this this pattern of these people living the inside-out gospel. They're living questionable lives. The message is powerful The Holy Spirit is moving in and among them and through them. And we see 3,000 come to faith on that first day. Now that is church growth. But I want you to notice something. That as they come to faith, they just don't come to faith in Christ and then go their own separate ways. The amazing thing is, of these 3,000 people that are representing just, but at least in this chapter, 16 or more different people groups, as that happens, they don't go immediately back to their homes to live their individual lives with their newfound faith. They stick around for a while. And that provides an opportunity for a faith community or a visible representation of the body of Christ to take shape and to take form. And this is what we see here in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verses 42 through 47. We begin to see what that community looks like, what they emphasize, what their habits are, and that not only is the gospel something that's really at work and alive and internal inside of them, but it spills out. It's the inside-out gospel. And as a result of all that we've read about, and we're going to look at it a little more closely here, we're going to see that the faith is necessarily a faith built on community, lives being shared together with Christ in the center, but the faith is necessarily a public faith. It isn't something that's lived or experienced in private The first thing we need to understand is that we have been called into this community of believers. That we are a part of this family that we see developed in Acts chapter 2. That that's our family. That's our lineage. That's our heritage. that, That we have a historical connection and roots into something much greater than ourselves much greater than our contemporary or current time, that we are linked with men and women, faithful followers of Christ through two millennia. That's our family. We're we're reading about our family. This is our history. And what we're going to see as we read through this is that like any family, there are traditions and customs and practices, and as you heard those passages being read, those verses being read, um, I thought to yourself, they said, you know, they gathered together, they broke bread, they, they, they were in fel- Well, man, it's like the church potluck. We're still doing it, aren't we? Let's look at this more closely. The first thing, and I love this, uh, missiologist, uh, Hith Fernando, says this, The body of Christ is incomplete without us. And we are incomplete without the body of Christ. Wrap your mind around that. The body of Christ is incomplete without us. And we are incomplete without it. So that's kind of an answer to anyone who says, Well, I can be a Christian and I can live my faith by myself and I don't have to be a part of the church body. Anyone who says that is deceiving themselves. That's not biblical. That may be very western, individualistic, but that's not the life of faith we've been called to live. There's a mutual interdependence and dependence upon one another because we are parts of the body of Christ and Christ is the head. Community life is not an option for the Christian, but a basic aspect of Christianity. It's not an option we see it from the very beginning. But there are four things that I want to call to your attention that we see in just these few verses. Four things that really characterize the kind of community that these first followers of Christ had. And four things that I would contend should still characterize and be a part of our community today. That when people read about this first group of believers in Acts chapter 2 that they could see our lives, they could look at our community, and the customs, the traditions, the practices would be the same. They'd be the same. And I would also argue, in prayer, and in the power of the Spirit, that the results should be the same too. Okay? They should be the same too. Well, the first thing we see, and we see it right away, Beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? To fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The the word devotion there literally means like an obstinate persistence. They persisted almost obstinately. They were so dedicated. They were so focused that they had a relentless devotion. That's what that means. They devoted themselves. It was relentless. And what do they have a relentless devotion to? Well, it begins with the priority of the Word of God. The priority of God's Word. They were people, okay, of God's Word. We want to be people of the book. People of Scripture. That's a priority for us. Now, these were New believers, followers of Jesus. And in, in, in living out the great commission, the disciples began to teach them what? Everything Jesus had taught them. Part of that great commission in Acts 28. Peter says it this way. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that's exactly what's happening. These newborn babes in the Scripture, Peter and the other original followers of Jesus, what are they going to do? They're going to raise them up in the Word of God. They're going to nurture them. They're going to nourish them in their newfound faith. They've discovered through the message of Peter... That the Lord is good. We, we've tasted the fulfillment of, of all that the prophets, all that the law spoke and pointed to. This person of Jesus, the Messiah. He's come. He's real. He's risen. He's alive. There's new life to be found in Him. But how is that new life lived? Well, that's exactly what they did. With a relentless devotion. They studied God's Word. Paul, who converts later on, writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That focus, that emphasis that was true then, that was necessary then, is necessary today. That with relentless devotion, we grow, we're nurtured in the word of God. And our faith is grounded and anchored. Now, why would that be important for these people? The same reason it would be important for us. Because they lived in a very multicultural world. Where the nations were coming together and people... Uh, not only Jews, but people of all different kind of belief systems, as the gospel would move out from Jerusalem. They would be exposed to all these things. And and once it, it, it became something other than a Jewish movement, it moved out into the world, how important would it be that these newfound followers of Christ would be grounded in the scripture, in the truth about who Jesus is? To be vital in a, in a pluralistic society and world. It is a necessity. It is something that, that, that we have to do. Because if not, we're swept away with the winds of false doctrine and other beliefs. Or other beliefs work their way in to the core and central beliefs of us as Christians, as followers of Christ. So we need to know God's Word in order to be anchored to stand and also to be able to share it with others that we can be confident and competent saints. But they did other things as we read on. They were relentless in their devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that's that word, that Greek word koinonia, and to the breaking... Of bread and to prayer. And and, and the language. The original language actually is the breaking of the bread. And some interpret that as the breaking of the loaf. That's what happens when we celebrate communion. And so communion was central to their gathering. And they, they celebrated it because communion linked them together. With Christ and his story. His death and his resurrection. And it called in mind to remember those things. And so. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to what? Prayer. And to prayer. And as they did these things, they they found a unity. There, there was faith, and there was love that was present. And they were unified, and that unity reflected itself In a heartfelt affection. And that's the second thing that characterized this this community. Was a heartfelt connection. I love the words of uh, the late pastor, author, theologian Eugene Peterson. He says this. He says that there can be no maturity in the spiritual life. No obedience in following Jesus. No wholeness in the Christian life. Apart from an immersion in and an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. And there was a heartfelt affection that these believers shared with one another. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said that all people will know you're my disciples. How? Your love, your affection for one another. Not just any kind of love, not just any kind of affection, but a love that is the first fruit of the Spirit of God that's powerful, that binds people of different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds, ethnicities, and joins them all together in unity, bound together in this love. They had a heartfelt affection. Because they were linked, not only together, they were linked with Christ. 1 Corinthians ten sixteen through 17. Paul writing about communion, about the breaking of the loaf or the breaking of the bread, it is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, and the participation, uh, a participation in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread that we break, participation in the body of Christ, because there is one loaf. Right, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. And so that communion that they shared in remembrance of Christ was representative of their unity with Him and their unity and their participation in the lives of each other. And that unity and that oneness has its connection, has its origin, as we learned last week, all the way back to the Godhead. The unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one. And by virtue of our connection in Christ, participation in His death and resurrection, and the new life that we have, and dwelt with His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we have that supernatural love in that unity. And it's made visible to all. Paul later writes in Romans 12, 4-5, For just as... As each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Now check this out, I love this. And each member belongs to all the others. Think about that. That you and I belong to each other. It's not my life that I'm living alone, my solitary life, and your life that you're living alone, your solitary life. And, and and we happen to kind of enter each other's orbits once a week or a couple of times a week when we go to this place called church. And then we go off and we live our own life on our own again. What Paul is saying is that you and I belong to each other. Mitzi, how's that sound? Huh? Is that good stuff? Yeah, it is that we literally belong to one another. Man, that is so different. That is so distinct from cultural norms. And so the first thing they they did, and they it was characterized was their relentless devotion. The second thing was their heartfelt af- uh, affection. But here's the third thing, and this perhaps is is I mean it's as miraculous as anything else. That they were known for sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. Um, As you read on here, it goes on to say that everyone, verse 43, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. These were the attesting miracles that were associated with the proclamation of the gospel. People were in awe of God. They were in awe of His Spirit, so much so that their own individual identities began to be melded together in this this new identity as Christ's body, and they celebrated, and they were excited, and 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 as. More and more people were coming and not leaving, right? Now think about this. All these pilgrims, 3,000 and many more are going to be added. They're coming. They're hearing the message. They're responding. And as that's going on, these people who'd come from all these different countries, speaking all these different languages and from different ethnicities and all these different things, they come. They're gathered together, right? They're being discipled in their new faith. But what are they going to do for work? How are they going to support themselves? How are they going to eat? What do we do to feed all these people? To house them. To make sure their needs are met. Because they're not going away right away. They will when persecution comes. But they're there. So they're so in awe of the work of God that you begin to see this sacrificial generosity. They want to see that work of God continue. They're excited about it. and it says this verse 44 all the believers were together and they had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need okay in acts 4:32 we read about that in more detail it says all the believers were in one heart and mind no one now check this out no one claimed That any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. In other words, they began to understand that everything they had belonged to God. This God who they were in awe of and this mighty work of the gospel. And they began to realize that their resources were the resources that God intended to use to spread the gospel. And they were all in. So much so that they, they didn't say, this belongs to me. They lived a life with open hands, a life of generosity, not of scarcity, but of abundance. And they said, This belongs to God. It is to be used for His mission, His purposes. Sacrificial generosity. Pastor Chuck Sackett, writing about this, he observes this. I want to read this quote. It's so good, it's so convicting. He said, we have always, or we have ways of thought that control the ways we act. For example, as a culture, we've been, we've bought into consumerism. I don't just mean that we buy stuff. I mean that we use things. We're users. We don't take into account the future. We don't take consequences into account. Our role in life is to use stuff, and when we're done using it, we throw it away and move on to something else. We've even learned to use people to our own advantage. Okay? That's very convicting. Very convicting. But this isn't what we see here among these transformed believers. They are not consuming, okay? But they're serving, they're giving, generously and sacrificially to the work of God, to the work of the inside out gospel that they're a part of and they're in awe of it. And they want to use their resources to further it. So the first three things relentless devotion, heartfelt affection, sacrificial generosity, but then there's something I want to where did it go? Where is it? It's called contagious joy. Contagious joy. Are are we so familiar with the gospel? Is God so familiar? Is Jesus so much our best friend that we've lost our awe? That we no longer have a joy that's contagious? That we just live every day like it was the day before and tomorrow like it was today? And we can't expect anything new, anything different of ourselves or from God? Is that how we live? Or do we live with contagious joy? Are we in awe? Are we saying we're all in? We're moving all our chips in to this inside out gospel. Look what Christ has done. And as I look out at you on Sunday morning, I say, look what Christ has done. Man, that's good stuff. It's enough to put a smile on our face and have us leave here with Joy. In conviction, in the power of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. What's the second thing? Joy. Joy. Contagious joy. Now check this out. As 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 this inside out gospel moves forward and they continue to preach, Peter and John they get pulled in before the officials. Uh, they, they, they get punished by them, beaten by them, and they're told, listen, don't you preach the gospel anymore. You stop that. Don't you ever say anything in the name of this person, Jesus. You don't do that. And so they were persecuted. They're punished. The gospel, in a sense, was made illegal. And so they went back. With long faces. Licking their wounds. Complaining about how unfair God is. And they spread that to all the other people. Man, this is a raw deal. I don't know if you want to continue in this. What do they do? Well, it tells us. In Acts 4.29-31. through uh, 31, They went back. And they gathered together with the other followers. And this is what they did. They prayed. Now, listen to their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What? I'm telling you something. Whenever the authority of man and the authority of God come into conflict, choose God. Live for Him. Live for Him. In fact, they had said, yeah, you could choose for yourself whether we should follow man or God. But for us, we're going to continue to follow God. And so they came back and, and they prayed for protection. They prayed for, for, for no one to hurt them. They prayed for comfort. They prayed that, that they could just enjoy the inside gospel and not have the outward ramifications. Is that what they prayed for? No. They prayed this. Now consider, Lord their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Bring his hope. Bring his healing. Bring his wholeness to our community and to the world. That's what they're praying here. But use us to do that. Now check this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Okay? This was a, a, a an empowering of the Spirit in their lives to perform the purpose to which God had called them. To experience a transforming gospel on the inside of their lives and to live it on the outside. And they prayed for it. And when they received it, in the power of the Spirit, they proclaimed it. They lived it. Why? Because their joy was contagious. Hmm. I love it that at the end of this section, it says that, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They still had a very strong Jewish identity, but they were living in the public place. They didn't withdraw. They, did, they didn't stay behind the four walls of their fellowship. They lived in public. They lived out loud. They were living questionable lives. For all to see, lives transformed by the power of Christ. And then it says this. They broke bread in their homes... And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And what? Enjoying the favor of all the people. Hey, you know what? The the Jewish officials weren't, right? They weren't okay with things. But the way they lived their lives, the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in them and through them, brought them favor with the people. And then look what it says. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the intersection of power of the Holy Spirit and passion of the people results in salvation in the lives of others. But notice this. Notice this. And the Lord added to their number, you see. The Lord calls us to be faithful to the mission he's given us, but he is the one that adds. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians three six through seven. He says, "I planted the seed. Apollo, Apollos watered it, but God has made has been making it grow, so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow." Okay. I can't do this. It, it's so overwhelming. What, what if people don't want to hear what I have to say? What if people reject the way I live? Well, that's not your responsibility. Some plant, some water. But it's God who causes the growth. All He asks is that we live into fully, more and more every day, The inside-out gospel with a relentless devotion, a heartfelt affection, a sacrificial generosity, and a contagious joy. Wow. Not in our own strength or power, but in the power of his Holy Spirit. Spirit of love, the living God, fall afresh on me. I want to close with a quote. It's from author Craig Larson, he adapted it from Eugene Peterson. It says this Being a church member is a vocation, a way of life. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality, living at the intersection of human need and God's grace, inhabiting a community where men and women who don't fit are welcomed. Where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told, and people who have no stories find that they do have stories, stories that are a part of Jesus' story. (laughs) Whoo! Being a church member places us strategically yet unobtrusively at the heavily trafficked intersection. Between heaven. And earth. Wow. I'll tell you what. If that doesn't give you a reason to get up in the morning. I don't know what will. Let's live into. The very best. Of the ultimate connection. Life. Together with Christ in the center.